Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I want you to start just with me here. Turn in your hymnal to the beginning, uh, Roman numeral 5, and you'll see something that says church here at the top. So, this is the this is the church year in a snapshot. You have the time of Christmas, in which there's the season of Advent, and then the Christmas season, and then the Epiphany season. You see that on the left-hand side. And then you have the time of Easter, where there's pre-Lent, uh, Lent, uh, Holy Week, Easter, and the Easter season. And of course, Easter culminates with Ascension, and then the following Sunday is Pentecost. Um, Then we have the time of the church year. As has been said here before, evergreen season, because the permits stay green for like all of the season. Um, That's where we are. We are in the time of the church year, the season after Pentecost. We start with the second Sunday after Pentecost, which is today. And we go all the way through November 27th, which is the last Sunday of the church year. And there's a lesson that's assigned for each week or a series of lessons. So, And actually, you can see that if you go in your hymnal a couple more pages from Roman numeral 5, you'll come to something that says lectionary, uh, lectionaries. That's on, uh, let's see, XIV would be 9. That's on page 9 or XIV. No, that'd be 14. Sorry. (laughs) So that would be 14 for those of you that don't read Roman numerals. But you'll see there, lectionaries. So if you want to see what lessons are ever coming up, you can find them there. So today is the second Sunday after Pentecost. And if you look in your bulletin, you'll see proper five. That's what the lessons are. They're, they're the lessons of proper five. So over here on the next page, which is 15, you'll see proper five, June 5th through 11th, because it could fall anywhere in that range. And you'll see the lessons, Hosea 5, Romans 4, Matthew 9. And next week will be proper six and then so forth. So Throughout the year, you can pretty much, I I mean, we don't deviate from the lectionary. Now, this is the three-year lectionary we're looking at, which is Series A. Series A focuses on Matthew's gospel. Series B, which will be the following year, focuses on Mark's gospel. Series C focuses on Luke's gospel. And John's gospel is interspersed throughout all of that. Now, there is also a one-year lectionary. Sometimes you'll hear referred to as the historic lectionary. Because it is the historic lectionary of the church. It goes back further. Um, the three-year lectionary was developed in the late 60s and 70s. And, and um, the three-year lectionary has some advantages. It's, uh, the chief advantage for us is that it's more commonly used in this area. So if you're talking with friends who go to other churches, for example, it doesn't even have to be a Lutheran church. Usually the lessons are very closely aligned with other churches, Methodists, um, uh, you know, Episcopals or uh, Cat- Roman Catholics, depending on, you know, they, they change a little bit sometimes. But anyway, I just wanted to give a little bit of background on that before we turn to our lessons today. All right. Have you ever heard the expression to throw good money after bad? It's... expresses a sentiment that it's foolish to spend more money trying to uh, rescue some fruitless scheme that's that's not profitable. 
throw good money after bad. You got an old beat up car. You're going to throw good money after bad. You know, you, you got taken when you spent a thousand bucks on the car in the first place, but it's better to just forego that thousand dollars and forget about it than it is to spend five thousand dollars trying to get the thing running. You know, you're throwing good money after bad. Here's another common idiom. The juice is not worth the squeeze. Have you all heard that one before? That's a pretty good one. That's like the effort that you will put into it is not going to produce the results that you expect to get out of it. You hear it a lot in work settings because you can spend a lot of time on some tedious thing that's not really going to produce. And so you say, look, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Um, How about that dog won't hunt? You ever heard of that one? That dog won't hunt. That's a way of saying, uh, this isn't going to work. You know, you're, <laughs> this, whatever it is that you're trying, nah, just give it up. It's not going to work. That dog won't hunt. That's all the idioms. Um, uh, but in, the, in, the, in this world in which we live, these common idioms like that, they count for some wisdom. I mean, there is a sense in which it applies. And you say, yeah, I mean, if, if I've wasted money on some uh, pyramid scheme and it's not, you know, proving profitable for me, what do I do? Just keep giving more? I mean, there's another idiom. When you're in a hole, keep digging. You know? <laughs> That's not going to get you out of a hole. You know? so, so there is some common earthly wisdom to these, to these statements. But in the realm of God's steadfast love, that's where you have to put that earthly wisdom to the side and say, no, that's not how God's steadfast love works. And that's what is happening here is we're seeing people who are hopeless, maybe. I mean, that's the implication. So the question comes, who is there? Who is beyond God's redemption? Who is it? That is hopeless. Don't waste your time with them. That's just fruitless. You're not going to get anywhere. That's what's behind this question from the Pharisees. Listen to this question, to this question, the way they talk. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's what the Pharisees were asking Jesus' disciples. It's like they were saying, Hey, um, Jesus, really don't waste your time with these. They're beyond hope. Besides, you might just become polluted with their sin because you're associating with these people. Why would you do that? The Pharisees ask particularly, particularly about eating because eating is... I mean, in their culture uh, at that time, eating was certainly a, a, a type of close connectedness and intimate fellowship. But it's that way today, too. I mean, we, we eat with people. You know, you have someone to dinner. There's a, there's a closeness that you have in that, in showing hospitality and receiving hospitality in that way. So they ask that, like, Jesus, why, you know, they ask his disciples, why does, why does your teacher get so close and so intimate with these people who are tax collectors and sinners. I mean, Paul does sort of address this subject in a way in 1 Corinthians 15. He actually quotes from the Greek poet Menander 
uh, in the scripture when he says, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Uh, actually, you know, it's so funny. I don't know which translation. It must have been the King James that used corrupts because the ESV actually says bad company ruins good morals. But it's so ingrained in my head that bad company corrupts good morals that it just flows off the tongue. But does that mean that Jesus should not be hanging out with these sinners? Jesus, be careful. You might be corrupted by their bad morals. Well, let's consider and remember that Jesus spent 40 days being tempted in the wilderness and he did not succumb to temptation. And let's also not put ourselves, the ones that Paul was speaking to when he said, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Let's not put ourselves on the same level as Jesus, on the same plane as Jesus, as though we're incorruptible and we can go around and associate with whomever. No, Paul is giving good sound advice saying, uh, be, you know, be careful of the company that you keep. But we don't need to apply that same restriction to Jesus to say, you know, be careful, Jesus, of the company you keep. Jesus answers this question and he makes it clear when he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Only those who are sick need to see the doctor. If you're well, you don't have this sickness, you don't suffer from this problem, well, you don't need a doctor. You just go right along living the way you're living because you don't need the doctor. But notice that Jesus didn't say, don't be judgmental of these sinners. Jesus didn't say, who made you a judge of their sin? They were tax collectors and sinners. There was no question about it. So he didn't, he didn't tell them, you know, you're exercising the wrong judgment of these people. He didn't say, hashtag love is love. Stop being so judgmental and hateful. You all know what hashtag is? You know, it's like people will post these little memes about, you know, how wonderful, like how self-righteous they are because they love people when you all are just a bunch of mean haters. And they'll, they'll post a little thing and then they'll put a hat, they put a little number sign, which is a hashtag. And, and they will say, you know, stuff like that. Like, love is love. You know, don't be so mean and hating. Well, anyway, back to the Pharisees. The uh, problem here was that the Pharisees did not rightly understand their own condition. It's not that they were... It's not that they were sinless. The Pharisees were not sinless. They just didn't recognize their sin. That's the problem, is that the sinners and tax collectors were being made to accept and understand their sinful condition, whereas the Pharisees refused to accept that of themselves. So the Pharisees were not wrong when they looked and said, oh, wow, look, he's eating with these sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus is like, well, you know, if I came to your house and sat down and ate with all you righteous, self-righteous Pharisees, guess who I'd be eating with? Sinners. You see, you accurately have portrayed their condition. They're sinners. But what you failed to do is self-reflect on your own condition, which is that you are also sinners. 
So Jesus doesn't say, go and continue and persist in your sin and be blessed. No, he doesn't say that. He is not saying that. He is calling sinners to repentance. But then he turns to the Pharisees and he says, go and learn what this means. Go back to your scriptures. Go back to Hosea 5, uh, Hosea 6, 6, which we heard this morning. And study that and tell me what does this mean? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. We might misunderstand that and think, see, God doesn't want sacrifice. That's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is that he desires the heart in all that we do. I mean, God commanded the Israelites to perform sacrifices, but to perform them in faith, where their heart of faith and trust in God was connected to their actions, okay? So their heart was controlling the work of their hands. But what's happening in this case is the Pharisees' hands are what are controlling the, their heart because it's their works that they're doing that they feel like are making them righteous. See the works of my hands, Jesus? This is what makes me righteous. And Jesus is saying, no, your, your heart is where your, your trust in God in, in Jesus, his Savior, that's what makes you righteous. The works of your hands will follow the works of your, or the faith of your heart. God is not interested in the idle, idle works of your hands, but he is interested in your heart, in your disposition toward him. It means that faithfulness to God is not a matter of what good you have done. I'm just going to say what good you've done. But it's a matter of trust in his goodness, in the goodness of God. Psalm 51 says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God desires that all people come to him with humility And when we come with humility, we lay aside all pretenses of our own righteousness as though we had a righteousness of our own. So I will ask rhetorically, you don't have to raise your hands and answer me in this, but where do you stand? Do you look at others like the Pharisees did as though they are without hope? Do you callously allow them to continue on their path to utter destruction? That's for the hashtag love is love folks. It's not loving to see someone heading for a cliff and not warn them and say, hold on, let's slow down and see what what has God's word revealed to us. I I saw this, this, this week with discussion about, you know, confusion over the sex of, of uh, male and female. God's word makes it so clear. In the beginning, he created them, male and female. It is genuinely that simple. And yet in pride and arrogance, humans try and make this more complicated, like, well, but you know, if you 
If, if you have a girl who likes to climb trees and play sports, well, she's got a certain, she's more masculine. She's got a certain masculinity to her. No, she's just a girl who likes to climb trees for crying out loud. Can we not accept, can we not have a place in our world where we just accept that some girls like to climb trees and that's okay? Uh, you know, so this, this pride and arrogance takes us away from God's truth. So, no, it's not loving to sit and watch them walk and, and run and sometimes get into a very fast car and move as quickly as they can toward the edge of that cliff. No, it's loving to stop them and say, slow down. That's the loving thing to do. Perhaps you have even found yourself resenting the person who sinned grossly and publicly and yet repented and was received back into or received into the church. We see this with public personalities sometimes. And we can be very cynical and skeptical about them. Is their contrition real? Are they really genuine in their faith and trust? How about the convict who's on death row, who confesses their sin? Can he really be saved? He murdered all those people. Now he says he's a Christian. Now he says he's been washed in the blood of Christ and he's been saved. Will we really see him in heaven? Jesus, do you really come to that person? I mean, it could be someone who has affected you personally. Someone who has offended you personally and violated you personally. Jesus, do you really come to that person? Do you know what he did to me? These are all along the lines of what the Pharisees were doing. They looked at a group of people as though they were helpless, hopeless, and beyond redemption. But Jesus' answer is very clear. No, they are not. It is the sick. It is the sinners that I have come for. Y'all who are living and basking in your own glory and self-righteousness, apparently you don't need a savior. What he really means is, you're going to find out you need a savior. Because you're going to find out that your righteousness is not up to snuff. No. All of these people, all of those who would call upon the Lord and turn to him in faith and trust, no matter what they have done in their past, there is hope for them. And frankly, it's the same hope that is for you and for me. We all have this same hope because we have all fallen short. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? See, your hope is in Christ who suffered and died for your sins. The, the question, was Jesus polluted by eating with tax collectors and sinners? Yes, you bet he was. He was polluted. He was polluted with their sin. And guess what? He was polluted with your sin and with my sin. And he did this willingly because he loves you, because he desires that you would be a child of God, that you would be received by God 
adopted, made heirs of this promise of eternal life. So yes, he was polluted by his interaction with them, just like he's been polluted by his interaction with all of us. Paul said to the Corinthians, for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus was made to be sin. He didn't know his own sin. He was made to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So yes, Jesus was polluted with your filth and unrighteousness and he did it for you. You, all of you, my friends, are the sinners that he has come to eat with. In fact, he is the host of this meal and he invites only sinners. Those are the only people invited to come to his meal and to receive his body and his blood for the forgiveness of sins. If you are not a sinner, don't come up here because you don't need his meal. But if you are a sinner, then rejoice because in Christ you have been set free. In Christ, your sins are forgiven. In Christ, all of your sins are washed away. You are not hopeless. Nobody is hopeless. Only turn to the Lord. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.